there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. What we're talking about this morning is mental mismatch. The idea behind this will fit in nicely with today's Light Podcast as well, because in a sense, the mental mismatch causes us to have unpleasant manifestations with one another. And as we all know, unpleasant manifestations are probably one of the most difficult things that we have to deal with. Unpleasant manifestations come from people. I'm not talking about unpleasant manifestations of weather or unpleasant manifestations of the mockingbird outside your window at three o'clock in the morning when you're trying to sleep and it's making all these noises and carrying on. I'm not talking about those unpleasant manifestations. All of us deal with those unpleasant manifestations, but I'm talking about the unpleasant manifestations that come from other people. You've heard of OPM, other people's money. Well, this is other people's manifestations. I'm talking about that. The reason that this happens is because there's this mental mismatch that goes on with us. We don't really understand one another. We don't really connect with other people because we're coming from different places. The reason is because we have many minds. And the thing is, is we don't really believe that so much. We think, no, I have one mind. This is it. It's this mind that I'm living in, that I'm thinking with, that I call me. It's my mind. Because of this point of view, because of this perspective, because of this feeling that we have, this feeling of self, this feeling of I, that we place mostly in our mind. And where is our mind located? In our head, right? And where is your head? On top of your body. So how we associate this whole thing is it's my body, it's my head, it's my mind, this is in my mind, they're my thoughts, and then we, can, we confuse our thoughts and our feelings. We don't know whether we're really having thoughts or feelings. I know because I've asked you, and it doesn't always come out the way it actually is, but we don't really know that we have many minds. We actually believe and are under the illusion that we are one that we're not many different selves, many different minds, many different eyes, but that we're one. And we live with this idea of ourselves. We have one name. We have one address. We have one body. We have one head. You know, We have one set of eyes. We have one nose, one mouth, one set of ears, one set of hands, one set of legs and arms. And it all belongs to me, I. And this is my feeling of myself. And we have many thoughts, but we have them all in the one mind, and they're all associated with me, I. And so we don't know that we have many minds. We get stuck in just this one mind. And this is what makes this mental mismatch possible, is getting stuck in this one mind. It would not be possible otherwise. Now, having associated with many people who are interested in esoteric teachings has made this mental mismatch not a theory for me, but a concrete experience. And believe me, over the years, I've dealt with a lot of people. And everybody wants to know about esoteric teachings. Everybody is interested, especially in the beginning. People just flock to the ideas in the beginning. Oh, I'm going to get money? Oh, great. Uh, this is, oh, that's the secret? Oh, the secret. Oh, good. Well, tell me the secret so that I can have everything that I want. They approach it from this stone level of the truth, from this basic level of the truth, from this ground level of the truth. And it all looks so good. But it doesn't take long before they start to fall away 
because they realize that there's something else involved other than just wanting or being interested in esoteric ideas. And what that is, is effort. Oh, I'm willing to make effort. Well, what kind of effort are you willing to make? Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm here, aren't I? I'm interested. I'm listening. Well, it, but it's going to take more than that. And then a few more fall away. And then it's going to take more than that. And a few more fall away. Until finally, there's not much left. So it's not a theory for me. It's a verified fact. This doesn't mean it's a fact for everyone who hears or reads about it. Not everybody in the crowd can get this because of the mental mismatch. Because not everybody in the crowd is the same age. Not everybody in the crowd has the same experience. Not everybody in the crowd has the same intellectual basis. Not everybody in the crowd has the same understanding. You have different levels of consciousness. You have one person who's conscious of more and another person who's conscious of less. And the person who's conscious of less isn't conscious of what this other person who's conscious of more is, is conscious of. And so he doesn't know about that and he doesn't understand that. And he feels like there's something wrong with that. It's like imagine yourself being dropped down in a, in a tribe of people somewhere on the planet who, who don't have electricity, never seen televisions and you know airplanes were gods or something that were flying overhead that made a lot of noise and they hid from them and, and you're dropped, you, you've got your iPhone in one hand and you've got your Palm Pilot in the other hand or, or whatever and, and you're looking for a signal and you're trying to dial out and they're watching you and they're bowing down to you as a god because you have this thing that can call other people and they make voices come out of this little square box and you can touch it and have all kinds of pictures and things show up on it and all these different things. And for people who have no experience of that, for people who don't have any understanding of that, you're like a god. And, of course, what happens to gods with people like that is eventually they cook them and eat them. So it's probably not a good idea to do that. We don't understand one another. And the reason we don't understand one another is because of this mental mismatch. Now, it's interesting to me, esoteric teachings have dealt with this for thousands and thousands of years, trying to explain to us why it is we don't communicate with one another, what the problem is with us. One story, it's called the Tower of Babel. I'm going to be reading from Genesis, which is in the Bible, and if you've got a problem with the Bible, then pretend it's in the Bhagavad Gita, or pretend it's in uh, Betty Crocker's cookbook. I really don't care what you pretend it's in. The idea is these are esoteric teachings, and they're hidden, so anybody who reads the Bible isn't just going to be able to get it because it's, the story is hidden, and I'll show you the keys to the doors that unlock the story so that you can begin to understand it in a new way, hopefully. Now, maybe you have keys that I don't have and you'll be able to understand it in ways that I don't understand it. Fine. That's why we're here together and we can share that. That's okay with me. I don't have a problem with that. Chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Now, the whole earth used the same language and the same words. And it came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Now, I'd like to talk about that first rather than read the whole thing through, because I want to take it in pieces so that we can unlock one little door at a time and then go to the next place and unlock a little door and go to the next place. I'm not saying this is the only way to understand this. I'm not saying this is the only thing the story means. I'm saying this is what it means to me and this is how it fits with my idea of mental mismatch, my idea of the confusion of tongues, my idea of how we got the way they are. The whole earth used the same language and the same words. What that really means is that there was a time when people understood esoteric language. There was a time, believe it or not, when people knew how to plant crops. They knew when to do it. They knew how to do it. They knew through their instinctive center and through their, their memory how things worked. 
seasons and times. They knew where the best place to plant was. They knew how deep, how high, how much, how this, how that. They knew those things intuitively, instinctively. We don't today, as a rule. There are still people who do, but we, modern man, we do not. We have lost that. We have become detached from our instinctive center. It now functions without any awareness on our part, or with very little awareness on our part. And so in the work, they say, don't mess with it. The reason they say don't mess with it is because we don't know what we're doing. It's not that it can't be messed with. It can be messed with, but you shouldn't mess with it until you know what you're doing. Now, of course, that never stops us. We always think we know, and we always think we're capable, and we always think we can do it. And that's why you have the Darwin Awards, with people who thought they could do that and ended up dead because they thought they knew better. And they thought, they, well, I know all about that. And, well, I know all about guns. And then they blow their head off. Well, I know all about skydiving. And then they you know, forget to pack their parachute, and whatever. You get the idea. So there was a time when people understood esoteric language. Now, confusion comes from not being able to understand one another, which comes from envy and self-seeking. I know that because in the book of James, in uh, I think it's chapter 3, James 3.16, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing or confusion, depending on which translation you're using. What is it that causes problems when we have a mental mismatch? Well, the problem is caused by wanting to be right. The problem is not caused by the mental mismatch. Just because you don't understand something that I understand or I don't understand something that you don't understand doesn't mean there's a problem. The problem only comes when we want to be right. The way that I understand it is the only way to understand it. The way that I understand it is the right way to understand it. That's when the problem comes up. So you can see that it's envy, self-seeking. Someone else has more, we envy that. Someone else doesn't have what we have, we feel all puffed up and proud about that, which is really self-seeking, which is really self-love. And that's always a problem for us. In our condition, self-love is always a problem. It's a good idea to remain aware of that. It came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain. All right, well, what does this mean, journeyed east? You'll, you'll find this in esoteric teachings a lot. They journeyed east. East is esoteric speak for within. It means they traveled inward. They traveled inside of themselves. They started to turn inward. Rather than live their lives outside through the five senses, they became aware of something inside. They became aware of an inner life. And they reached a plane. What is the plane? It's a level of consciousness. They reached a wide, broad place flat plane, a level of consciousness. And the problem is with us is that when we reach a level of consciousness and it's pleasant, we want to stay there. Well, this is the right level of consciousness. This is the good place. For example, let's say we reach a place of inner peace. We reach a level of consciousness where we have inner peace. Well, that's good. We want to cling to that. We want to stay with that. We don't want to leave inner peace. We don't want any more turmoil. We don't want any more discord. We don't want any more problems. We want to stay right here in inner peace. So this is what it's like. They reach this plane in the land of Shinar, and settled there. Because we want to settle there. Do you see how we always want to settle there? We cling to that state. We cling to the pleasant manifestations, the pleasant states, and we develop aversions and hatreds for the unpleasant states. But it's the unpleasant states that cause us to grow and develop, and the pleasant states are little resting spots. We're not supposed to settle there. It's okay to take a rest. It's okay to to live your life from there. But don't get attached to it. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burned them thoroughly. So they had bricks for stone, and they used tar for mortar. And then the people on the podcast, they all know that we're, we're doing a, a, a 
PowerPoint or keynote presentation so that people are watching slides of this right now. And going, oh, well, that's really clever. Brick, stone, and there's a little tower in the background, tar and mortar, and oh, that's right. And that's the idea is to make it more alive, more real for you, and to get more centers involved so that this sticks better. That's what I'm after. So they had bricks for stone, tar for mortar. What does that mean, bricks for stone? Well, it means that stone, we know, is is a level of the truth, right? Stone, water, wine. And so there are three levels of truth there. And, of course, those levels have levels. There's harder stone and softer stone, isn't there? There's harder water and softer water, isn't there? There's stronger wine and weaker wine, isn't there? So all the levels have levels. It's not just all cut and dried like that. This is just a way of understanding it, like coming to grips with it, so that we can begin to get an idea of what this story is trying to tell us esoterically. Now, if you want to take it literally, and the whole earth was one language, and they all everybody spoke Armenian or whatever, or Aramaic or whatever, I don't care, whatever, Sumerian, and then this all happened, and you want to take that all literally, fine, that's fine, that's fine, go, go right ahead. But if there's more, if you could develop beyond that, if you could understand more beyond that, would you want to? Well, some people will say, no, give me that old-time religion. It's good enough for Moses. It's good enough for me. Okay, you can have it. That's yours. Me, I would like to move forward. I would like to have the fullness of what is offered. And so I keep trying to understand more. I keep putting more attention and more effort into it, more time and more energy into it. And hopefully I will come to the place where its secrets are exposed or revealed to me and to you too, hopefully. That's what I'm after. The bricks for stone, tar for mortar is instead of having the truth, the stone, they have bricks. Bricks are man-made and you fire them, you burn them. We make these bricks, we have our hard facts and we forge them with our minds and with our sweat and with our efforts, but they're all ours. You see, they all belong to the false personality, they all belong to me, they're mine. It's not the truth which doesn't belong to anyone, the stones that we had nothing to do with making them. But as soon as we think that we have had our hand in it, we made the bricks, we burned the bricks, we gathered the material for the bricks, we formed the bricks, we did all this. Now we're attached to it. Now we're identified with it. Now it starts to fall on false personality. So they start off with this, hard facts instead of the stone truth. And tar for mortar. Rather than mortar, they take what is available, what is at hand. What is at hand? Tar. So they used pitch, tar. And they held the bricks that they made together with that rather than using mortar. And what is mortar? Well, mortar is what holds the universe together. Mortar is what is universal. And what is universal that holds everything together? It's love, divine love. Divine love is is the glue that holds everything in the universe together. It is what connects everything. So they had bricks, hard facts, in place of the stone, the truth. And they had tar, which was their answer to love, which is a selfish self-centered, self-love, sticky, gooey, self-love that is dark rather than divine love, which binds all things together and which is light and which is good, solid, beautiful, eternal. So they're going to build their tower out of these materials. The false personality is answered to how it thinks things should be done. It gives you a little hint further. It says, and they said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven and let us make for ourselves a name. If this is not false personality, then what is? Make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad. So let's build ourselves this and let's make ourselves that. Let's do this all for me. When you start going down that path, it's not long before you go astray. 
everything begins to fall on false personality. All the beautiful ideas, all of the great esoteric truths begin to fall on the wrong place. They start to fall on false personality. And they build false personality. They build the, the false part of us, the acquired part of us, rather than the essential part of us that needs to be built, that needs to be grown, that needs to be developed, that needs to be nourished. So the idea is the food falls on the wrong place. And so the wrong thing gets fat and the right thing gets skinny and emaciated. Now, there are so many stories in esoteric teachings about that, but we, can't, we just don't have time for all of them. And I have to stay on track. They wanted to reach heaven. They wanted to build a tower whose top would reach into heaven. They wanted to reach higher state of consciousness, but they wanted to do it their way. They wanted to bring the false personality to heaven, bring heaven down to the false personality, rather than leave the false personality behind, sacrifice the false personality, and develop something that can exist in heavenly realms. And remember, the kingdom of heaven is just an expanding state of consciousness. It's an expanded awareness. No big mystery about it. The story maps out different views of different minds in man. The illusion of one mind causes misunderstanding. Illusion is something that we deal with all the time. As a matter of fact, we deal with illusion so often that we don't even know it's illusion anymore. If you look at a static illusion long enough, it actually comes alive for you. It actually looks like it's moving. And the truth is it's not moving at all. It's static. It's staying in one place. But it deceives you into believing that you are moving when you are not. It deceives you into believing that you are doing better than you're actually doing. This is not a good thing. It causes misunderstanding first of ourselves. And that misunderstanding of ourselves leads to a misunderstanding of other people. When you look at a person, who is it you're really seeing? What is it that you're really seeing? On the surface, it looks like one person. And we see the person, and for us it may be a monster. Well, this person is just bad and wrong. This person does it wrong. This person isn't good. This person has bad intentions. This person is always negative. This person is a horrible person. And we get stuck with that image, and we don't know. Like, well, wait a second. Maybe there's another side. Maybe there's more to that person than just what we saw, our first impressions. What do they say about first impressions? Uh, nobody here knows. It's the same as your last. <laughs> but yeah, it says first impressions are always wrong. <laughs> first impression is what? The same as your last? And the reason they say the first impression is the same as your last is because when people get a first impression, more often than not, that's it for them. They never think again about that person. They dismiss them. They never think about them again. So their first impression is the same as their last. For us, it can't be that way. It's painful not to have it that way, but for us, it can't be that way because we wish to develop. If you wish to remember yourself, if you wish to develop, then you cannot afford that. You cannot afford to pigeonhole people. You cannot afford to misunderstand people. You cannot afford to see a person only in one way. You must begin to work harder to see a person in other ways. You've got to be able to see that there are many sides to one face, that there are many sides to one person. And you've got to be able to open up your own consciousness to receive those different sides of a person and to also find those different sides of a person in yourself. The thing is, is when we look at people, we can come up with some pretty grotesque ideas of who they are. You look at somebody who, like, for example, is locked into the instinctive center. And you think, God, this guy's a real horse's patootie. But they aren't necessarily. It's just that you have this mental mismatch. Here you are spending all your time with your center of gravity in your intellectual center, they're spending their time with their center of gravity in their instinctive moving center. And so we don't understand them. For us, they look like some kind of a freak. For us, they look like a mix between an aboriginal human being and a modern man or whatever. 
you look at animals, for instance, are stuck in the instinctive center. They don't have the possibility to develop that we have. So they're stuck in the instinctive center. Now, the problem with us is we're stuck out of the instinctive center as a rule. We can't get into the instinctive center. It's locked to us because we have abandoned it for something else. We have allowed our center of gravity to go somewhere else, and so we have all of our attention there, all of our energy there, and the instinctive center has been atrophied for us. It's just a matter of all unconscious, you know, the heartbeats, the respiration, the blood flow, the digestion of food. It's all unconscious for us. There's nothing conscious about it. We can't tap into it consciously, but you can learn to. So for us, it's this dumb animal thing that just does everything mindlessly without us. When the truth is, is it's far more intelligent than we are, and it will shut down all of our other centers. If we're in danger, and if it's in danger of losing its life, it will shut down all the other centers. It trumps them all. For a dummy, that's pretty smart. So the physical body is actually controlled by several minds with separate functions that are independent of each other. Our way of looking at things removes us from the bliss that we could have in being in this present moment. Being in this present moment and being with this person, whoever this person is, whatever this person is right now. And instead of having this mental mismatch, well, you don't agree with me and you're wrong and this isn't the way it is, you could have the bliss, the joy of being able to accept this person as they are in this very moment and watch with wonder the magic of transformation because when you accept a person as they are, without judgment, it gives them the space to change. I talked about this last week. They don't change because they want to change. They change because the space is there to change. They transform because the space is there. People, we fill space. When we give ourselves space, we expand into it. When we don't give ourselves space, we stay contracted. You have to ask yourself, who's in control? We think that we are. But the truth is, control is actually something that is beyond us because what is controlling us is old associations and what we've acquired from our parents, from people in our past, from our grandparents, from teachers, from peers, from whomever we were around in our past. We acquired all of these associations, all of these habits, all of these thoughts, all of these beliefs, all of these other manifestations, and they're pulling the strings for us. And add to that, then you have the events in life that are triggering these things, these associations that start the strings being pulled. What we call feelings, for example, are really manifestations of a mind that is different from the one that thinks. So you have a person who is always in their feeling, their, their center of gravity is in their feeling mind. And people who have their center of gravity in their thinking mind don't understand people who have their center of gravity in their feeling mind. A good example is men and women. Men, as a rule, not always, but as a rule, men have their center of gravity in their thinking mind. Where women, as a rule, not always, but as a rule, have their center of gravity in their feeling mind. So that's why they talk to each other and they don't understand one another. A woman will want to talk about how she feels. And a man will think how to solve that problem. Well, all the woman wants to do is talk. And by talking, she feels better. And when the man listens to her and says, oh, yes, I see, I understand. Oh, oh, yes, that must be awful. Then, which a man never does or rarely ever does, unless, of course, he wants something from the woman, then he might do it. Will you hold me after? Yes, I'll hold you after. And then, you know, so we all lie, but there it is. But the truth is we don't normally, naturally understand one another because our centers of gravity are in different places. So we have this mental mismatch. One center of gravity is in the thinking mind. Another center of gravity is in the feeling mind. Another center of gravity is in the moving instinctive mind. And those three just don't easily fit together. And when you're stuck in one and you don't know about anything else, you're stuck. And this work is to get you unstuck. 
That's the wonderful thing about it. The problem is with people is that they can feel different things. One person can feel a lot of different things. One person can think a lot of different things. But we don't see one person feeling and thinking a lot of different things. We see one person as one person. We like them that way. We pigeonhole them. They're static. That's the way it is. And we don't want to get any further than that. This leaves us very unhappy people when we could actually be pretty happy. Happiness is a condition of who you actually are. Peace is a condition of, a characteristic of who you actually are. So if you're not at peace and you're not happy, you're not being who you actually are. You're being who you actually aren't, which causes a lot of problems. Feelings have a cognitive value. You can know through feelings. Not too long ago, I had a dream about, we have a podcast listener who lives in the Miami area. He's really made himself a part of the group by contributing financially to the group, by being in almost daily contact with me via emails. We're planning on getting together sometime in the hopefully not too distant future where we'll be able to interact with each other. And I'm sure that one day he'll end up here in the group, sitting here where you are, doing this with us. That's his intention, and that's my intention as well. So... I had this dream, and I had this dream that I met him in Miami. He sent me an email the morning of, that I had the dream. And I said, that's funny that I would hear from you today because I had, I had a dream about you last night. And then I told him, you know, that I was in Miami. And he, and he said, well, how do you know? If it was a dream, how do you know you were in Miami? And I thought, isn't that funny? It's the cognitive value of feelings. I felt like I was in Miami. Well, could you verify that? Yes, because I have been in Miami, I could verify it. I could verify it by the palm trees. I could verify it by the beaches. You know, I could verify it by the feeling of the atmosphere. How do you know whether it's muggy or dry, hot or cold? Well, you feel it. You sense it. Sensations on your body. That's not the same thing as feeling something. You can feel something in your emotional center that is not connected directly with, that does not come from your sensations on your body. It comes from the instinctive moving center. But feelings in the emotional center are different. Anyway, I knew it was Miami. And he wanted to know how I knew. So because I know that he has, his center of gravity is in his intellectual center, and my center of gravity tends to be more in my feeling mind than in my intellectual mind, although the people who will argue with me about that, and they will argue with me about that because they want my center of gravity to be either in the intellectual mind or in the feeling mind or in the moving instinctive mind. But the truth is, is that a balanced man can have his center of gravity wherever he wants to put it whenever it's going to do the most good for him. So if I need to have my center of gravity in the intellectual mind, then I'll put it there. If I need to have my center of gravity in the feeling mind, then I'll put it there. If I need to have my feeling of I, my sense of where I am in the instinctive moving mind, then I'll put it there. That's the idea of the fourth way so that you can work all of the centers. You can work with all of the centers at once and become a balanced man. But you're not supposed to be able to do that. Well, I'm sorry. You know, I'm not really that great at it. So don't throw stones just yet. I'm not saying that I'm better than you. I'm not saying that I'm superior to you. I'm just saying that this work works. I can't really apologize for the work. The work works. If you do it sincerely, it will work. And you, too, will be able to shift your center of gravity to different parts of, of your minds at different times, accordingly, as you need to. And I'm sure that each of you has some kind of experience of that now. You just don't have the kind of control you would like. Sometimes your feelings get the better of you, and you would love to be able to get out of your feeling mind and into your thinking mind, where things could be more logical and they would bother you less, but you're unable to do it. Or you're stuck with a thought going around and around in your head, and you can't get out of it, and you know, all you'd have to do is get into your moving mind or your feeling mind, and you'd be out of it, but you don't have the control. So in the dream I was in Miami, he asked, well, how do you know you're in Miami? 
And so I said, well, I've been in Miami before. And I knew that would, that would satisfy, to some degree, the thinking mind, which, we, which he was in, because he doesn't have a lot of experience in the feeling mind. And so it's difficult. But fortunately, he tries to understand me, tries not to think that I'm a kook or that I'm, that I'm one of those people who have been, how do you put it, uh, abducted by aliens. You know, he thinks that people have dreams and visions and are s- similar to people who, you know, who say they've been abducted by aliens. And I can understand that, you see. I, I understand that. I've met people like that. I've had those thoughts myself. I know what the thinking mind is like. I know how it, how it looks at things. And if the thinking mind and the feeling mind are not equally yoked together, it's very difficult to yoke them together. Do you see that? It's very difficult for the two things to move along together until you learn how to do it. Some people have had more experience doing it than others. There's more than one kind of knowing. That's my point here. When we trust only intellectual mind, we form theories about what's right and what's wrong. And we love our theories about what's right and what's wrong. This is right and that is wrong. And it's very difficult for us to go from right or wrong to right and wrong. Once we've decided what's right, we don't like to think about it again. We go on automatic pilot, and it's all over for us at that point. Those theories may be contradicted by the feeling mind. The thinking mind may have theories, but the feeling mind contradicts them. We have to learn to modify the working of one mind by the working of another mind. So we've got to learn to modify the working of the thinking mind with the working of the feeling mind. My friend in Florida is beginning to do this. He's beginning to open up to the feeling mind and so that it tempers the thinking mind. So instead of the thinking mind being able to say, anybody who believes, anybody who thinks that is, they, they're, they're kooks. They're, they belong, they're nutcases. They belong in a nut house because they think they were abducted by aliens. For me, I don't think like that. I could think like that, but I don't find it profitable. Because it's not profitable, I don't do it. So what we have is the thinking mind, the feeling mind. As you know, this work says man is like a three-story house. The first story will have the sex center, the instinctive moving center on the first floor. The second floor, we have the feeling mind and the higher feeling mind. The third floor, we have the thinking mind and the higher thinking mind. Okay, so that's basically the three-story house. Actually, we spend most of our time in just a few rooms of the house, sometimes just the sex center. You'll notice that I have them colored. I have them colored for a reason, because I want you to get the idea. And you notice a couple of them, are the colors are gradient. They start at one color and they end in another color. The feeling mind is, for us, the emotional center is so contaminated by negative emotions that it's very low and not very functional at all. And so where these ideas have to fall on us is the thinking mind. Now, it's contaminated as well, but it's the one place that we can receive these ideas. And until the feeling the emotional center, the feeling mind, is awakened and purified, we have to get the ideas intellectually. And so you'll find people who are with their center of gravity and intellectual center, and that's the only way they can get the ideas. You start to talk about the emotions of the work, and it's very difficult for them to understand it. They feel a lot more comfortable with the ideas, the intensity of the ideas, the rightness of the ideas, the depth of the ideas, the intricacy of the ideas, how the ideas touch other ideas. And it's all about the ideas but they lack this connecting force that ripens them, that softens them, that gives them the fruit that this work is supposed to bear. And that fruit is going to be emotional. Valuation of the work is emotional. Now, at first, it can be intellectual. It can be the emotional part of the intellectual center. You can value in the emotional part of the intellectual center the ideas intellectually. But I'm talking about the emotional part of the emotional center, which is entirely different. So when we trust only the intellectual mind, we form theories, what's right and what's wrong. Those theories are going to contradict 
inside of ourselves. So we're going to go with our center of gravity. So if your center of gravity is in the feelings, you're going to tend to want to deal more with the feelings. If your center of gravity is in the intellect, you're going to want to tend to deal more with the intellect. If your center of gravity is in the moving, instinctive center, you're going to want the movements, the exercises. That's all fine. That's all fine. There's nothing wrong with any of it. Some people come through the intellectual center. Some people come through the instinctive center, instinctive moving center. Some people come to the work through the emotional center. None of them are wrong. Staying in any one center to the exclusion of the others is not productive and it will stunt your growth and development. And that's what we're talking about, not having that happen. The body is a physical apparatus for the invisible minds. The body is basically a visual representation of the different minds we have. You can look at body types and tell what kind of mind the center of gravity that body type has. So it's interesting how that works if you look at that, the visual representation of the different minds in the body. Each center is, is a different mind and each mind views the same problem differently, sees the same thing in a different way. A dream or a vision viewed from the feeling mind is different from the intellectual mind. Esoteric teachings viewed from the intellectual mind are different from esoteric teachings seen from the feeling mind. Balanced man can use all centers, can see all sides, if not at once, then together from memory. Ospensky said, man is like a house with windows opening on different sides. North, south, east, west, each has its own view. Separately, each looks true. Looking north, you see a different view than looking south. But both can be true. Actually, both can be true at the same time. The truth is that which can be seen from each window, and then it's stitched together into a whole view by remembering. This is why remembering is important. You look out this window, thinking mind, and you see it one way. Then you look at the feeling mind and you see it another way. But unless you can stitch those two together and remember them at the same time, you're stuck in one or the other. So you see the idea of this work in balancing is to be able to remember what it was like to be in the intellectual mind when you're in the feeling mind. Remember what it's like to be in the feeling mind when you're in the moving mind, moving instinctive mind. As you know, this work says that there are three basic kinds of man at our level. Three different ways, actually four ways, but we'll talk about three first. Man number one is the fakir. His center of gravity is in the moving instinctive center. Man number two is a monk. His center of gravity is in the emotional center. And man number three is a yogi, and his center of gravity is in the intellectual mind. All of these are one-sided, seen subjectively. They argue with each other. Back to the Tower of Babel. They argue with each other. There's this confusion. There's this envy. There's this self-seeking. I'm right. You're wrong. This is the way it is. That's not the way it is. No, this is the way it is. No, that's not the way it is. And they can't see all three points of view at the same time. They see only their point of view. And of course, each one of these ways is a good way. The way the fakir, through severe discipline, can gain will by subduing the body. The way the monk gains will through obedience and subduing the emotional center. The way of the yogi gains will by controlling the intellectual center. So each has his way. But then when you have it, you have that way and nothing else. They can't agree because each uses one mind to see differently from what the others see. The fourth way works all centers at once, seeking to reach the level of balanced man, man number four. He seeks to use and control all three centers. The work begins with the study and observation of three centers, three minds. We begin by seeing thoughts and emotions are different. Then we're surprised at how many don't know the difference between thoughts and feelings. I know, I've asked you, well, what do you think? And you tell me what you feel. Or I ask you what you feel, and you tell me what you think. And I say, that's not a thought, that's a feeling. Or that's not a feeling, that's a thought. And then you really have to work hard to try and find out what you think or what you feel. We observe different minds exist by becoming conscious of our thoughts and our feelings, and then we learn to distinguish which one we're in. 
whether we're having thoughts and feelings, and that will tell us which mind we're in. We learn to do that by observing ourselves. To feel when we need to think is wrong. To think when we need to feel is wrong. To think and feel without action is wrong. To act without thought or feeling is wrong. So we've got a lot of things that are wrong, and we can do them all. And we can do them all naturally. We can do them all automatically. We can do them all without thought, without effort. Isn't that amazing? We're wonderful that way. We can really screw things up mechanically, automatically. But to sort them out takes great effort and a lot of work and a lot of awareness and a lot of right knowledge. We seek to live more consciously. Now, I don't care what the people out there in the world are doing. That's their business. We seek to live more consciously. To get there, we observe ourselves and we learn to know ourselves as we are, not as we imagine ourselves to be. To see that we're not one mind but three alters our complacent view of ourselves, taking ourselves for granted, and we begin to awaken. Balancing different minds begins the transformation of being, begins with not identifying with one point of view, one mind, one window. It takes effort. It takes sacrifice. It's going to cost you something. It might be painful to have more than one point of view. Someone who doesn't have more than one point of view may not like you anymore, may not want to be in your life anymore, may be unpleasant towards you. Oh, well, this is hard work that takes a long time, but it leads to who you really are. Eventually, we can reach a state where higher mind begins to influence us directly, and we no longer blindly serve nature. When we blindly serve nature, we are at the whim of nature. Hurricane one day, tornado the next day, earthquake the next day. Who knows what you'll get? Or sunshine, or rain, or storm, or whatever, or tsunami. You don't know what you'll get with nature. But with higher mind, you begin to awaken. You begin to have some control over your centers, over your points of view, and you begin to move closer to real eye, who you really are, and what your life is really about. And that's what we're doing here. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.